welcome to Health Kitchen, the podcast that talks all things health, safety, and performance when it comes to restaurants and the food service industry. I'm Aaron, kinesiologist, former dishwasher, server, bartender, and I will be guiding us through this journey as I connect with industry professionals, health experts, and anyone who has a good story in the food service industry. Hello, hello, hello. And we have made it to another episode of the Health Kitchen podcast. And I know that everything in this podcast relates back to retention, but I want to tackle retention in a little bit of a different way today. And the topic that we're talking about today is going to be a little bit more sensitive because of that. So we're talking about queer issues in restaurants. So um, it's an exciting topic. Um, Being a queer person myself, this is something that I noticed and was affected by in the restaurant industry. And you'll hear more about that in the interview portion. But it really makes me aware that if we want to retain people in the industry, we want to make sure that the workplace is inclusive to everyone in it. If we can't find people, And the people that do want to be there feel like there isn't a safe place for them to come to work every single day. And not just safe when it comes to injury, but actually feeling safe when it comes to their identity, um, their emotional and mental health. Um, If those things aren't being kept safe, then those people are going to leave the industry as well. So this is something that um, is a really big issue for queer people in workplaces across the board, um, trying to find a workplace that is queer friendly. And when I say queer friendly, I don't mean... um, the sort of, you know, it has to become a gay space, you know, like over on Church Street or something like that in Toronto, but saying it's queer friendly that they aren't going to feel discriminated against in some way while they're at work. And it may be in ways that you may not be aware of if you're not part of the community. And that's totally okay, but being open to learning more about those experiences and what those people need... Um, to feel safe during their workday. So I was thinking a lot about this topic, so I was really excited when today's guest contacted me to talk about these things. Now, before we get into the episode, we're just going to do a really quick little queer learning lesson before uh, before we get into it. So um, I do want to note that when you hear someone's story um, of their experience Uh, being a queer person, that that story does not equate to the whole community. One queer story doesn't mean that it is the queer story. So just keep that in mind that people are complex and diverse and what one person hears as something may not be the same story for someone else. So just keep that in mind that if you don't... um, understand the perspective that things are coming from or anything like that just know that one queer story 
doesn't encompass the entire history of queerness. And it's a diverse um, group of people, and that's why I just wanted to get into that before we get into today's interview. And I am so excited for you to learn about today's guest. I was so excited when they contacted me, and I am so excited to introduce them. So let's get into that. Today's guest goes by the name of Devin James Fitzpatrick, and for as long as he can remember, Devin has wanted to be a chef. Starting his career in specialty coffee, Devin worked his way through various sectors in the industry until specializing in pastry in 2016 in Toronto. While passion is in no short supply for Devin when it comes to baking and creating, he has been forced to switch gears and think critically about whether this industry is a sustainable option after burning out for what he intends to be for the last time. Devin is spending time exploring small business ownership in Collingwood while making time for other passions and work-life balance is at a forefront of moving forward. And you'll definitely get a feel of why this is important to him when you hear this episode. So without further ado, let's go listen in. Uh, I think it's going to be good. So I'm sitting here with Devin James Fitzpatrick, and I thought I would give you the floor to start this. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so I've been in the industry for 10 or 12 years. I've kind of been in, like, many sectors. I started in coffee. I've done a lot of food service stuff. I've uh, worked in management at almost every establishment I've been at. Um, I really like leadership in the industry. And uh, I finally specialized in pastry. I went to pastry school in 2016. And uh, since then, I've been working pastry, baking-related jobs. And uh, my recent role was at a luxury hotel as a pastry cook. So that was interesting and fast-paced and stuff. Yeah. What made you zone in on pastry? It's honestly... It felt like uh, the appropriate niche for me. I felt like I connected to the quality of work uh, and prep over service, Um, but it also felt like a comfortable place in my queer identity, honestly. Um, I felt very accepted there compared to some of the harsh broiness of culinary kitchens sometimes. Yeah. Um, It felt like way more inclusive or accessible to me. Yeah, that's, that doesn't sound uh, surprising to me um, for the different types of spaces that restaurants um, have and the different types of people in those spaces. So yeah. It wouldn't surprise me that the pastry side, um, even though it's still very high-paced yes. and everything, um, you might see a little bit less of that. Yeah. But uh, when it comes to the uh, pace and everything, can you give me a little bit of an idea of how busy you were as a pastry chef? Oh my goodness. Yeah, I was just a pastry cook. Like, uh, us cooks are always feel impostery if someone misnames us a chef because it's such a prestigious title, but uh, it's, it's intense. Depending on the establishment you work for, um, it's, it's still 
working in a kitchen and it's still lots of output and it's still uh, high pressure situations um, I really liked it because there's more emphasis on the presentation of what you're putting out um, and I was able to focus like my favorite part of that job is the prep work like making sure going through a list and making sure all of my components are made um, there is a little bit of separation uh, at least in that role where it's uh, prep versus service so it's making all of the components versus plating all of the components yeah. um, I prefer the prep part of it because the service uh, that's where the extra pressure is yeah yeah I thrive off of that sometimes but yeah yeah I don't think I ever thrived off the service side but I was good at it but I never enjoyed it right uh, being front of house side I like really when it hit the fan it wasn't my favorite thing yeah like I wasn't the type of person that's like this is when we come alive like yeah. you know cause I know chefs and servers and bartenders and all sorts of people that like when it's hitting the fan like that's fun to them yes yeah, yeah. And I never was that kind of person. I was like, can it all just go nicely? I don't know. Like, you know. Yeah. Uh, but a uh, little bit of a side question. Have you made croissants before? I have, in Are school. as much of a nightmare as everyone's They're intense. Okay, cool. It takes a long time to master those. Uh, I don't know when I would ever be able to master them. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of uh, uh, bakers, pastry chefs that always talk about how awful the croissants are. Like, uh, I know. Yeah. I know one that, like, stopped making them because he was like, I, it's too much work for 12. Like, it's just because they would just make yeah. like, 12 for, like, this cafe. And it was That's like, the thing, right? Yeah, it was too much. A lot of, um, a lot of uh, establishments in the industry end up going to frozen mass-produced product for laminated pastries. Yeah. Because it's the, the labor and the investment depending on what you're trying to accomplish as a business, doesn't always work out, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, the balance between the two, and depending on... Um, and also the shelf life of things. can yeah. also affect that, how long something can stay yes. um, good for. But, um, so did the industry pick you, or did you pick it? I, I was passionate from a very young age. Okay. Like, I was, the, I was the kid watching Food Network all summer long, uh, I was pretty adamant about becoming a chef since I was, like, 11, um, and I went through a variety of things. I've steered away from it, but worked food so service jobs until I finally realized, no, this really is my passion, and I just went for it. But even, you know, my time in the industry, I've shifted gears a lot, um, because you get to roadblocks and realize pieces of it are not sustainable for you. Yeah. Uh and you see systemic issues, you know, coming to light. And it, in my journey in the industry, it's taken a lot of self-reflection to see uh, what do I actually get out of it? Yeah. Like, to be honest, like, is the payoff actually working anymore? Yeah. It's been a, it's quite been quite the journey in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I've kind of, in my field as a kinesiologist, I've kind of, I think I've hit the same wall over the year is like, because I do a lot of different things and kinesiologists do a lot of different things. Right. But I am sort of honing in of like, oh, this thing that we all do, I actually don't really like doing that. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, this thing that's, I get why people love it, and I can do it. But I'm also like, oh, that's totally not me. Yeah. You know, and I'm kind of discovering that within my own field and figuring out 
where I want to go next with things. Yeah. Um, because it's just how I am, you know, um, depending on what type of, what part of my job I'm doing. And I think you just get that from the variety of doing everything. You start to figure that out. Yes. I think it's also, it's a huge motivator uh, for people in our generation. Like, they want to be super fulfilled in what they're doing. And I, like, me as well. Like, that's, I've always, um, my identity has always been very wrapped in what I'm doing as a career. Yeah. Um, And that's why I push so hard for um, entering the industry uh, and eventually specializing in pastry because it felt like it really represented uh, big parts of me. But then... You know, even kind of dissecting through that, you see issues that um, aren't really... It's more... It's it's the industry as a whole, and it's, you know, capitalism as a whole, to be honest, you know? I hate capitalism. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, you know, I see a lot of memes about that. I didn't notice that maybe until a couple years ago, where I was like, oh, we're all, like, connected to our career, and, like, our identities in our career, which is great, because there's a lot of identity there, but we're also, like, that's for production, so yeah. like somebody can make a lot of money. Um, so, like, that's something that, like, that's a byproduct of all that. Right? Yeah. Being told that, you know, we have to find a job that we're passionate about and blah, 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 because um, that's how you survive in this capitalistic society. Right. Like, yeah, no, like, you're right. Mentally, not just, like, lucratively, but, like, yeah. actually mentally. is like, you're supposed to have passion, because if you have passion, then you're going to be able to survive whatever it is you're going through. Yeah. Um, which I think a lot of people are starting to see that that's maybe not true. Yeah. Um, we're starting to hit that wall. And I think, you know, if you have a whole generation that was raised by people telling you, follow your passion, do whatever you want, you know, that's probably going to come up um, and start seeing these sorts of problems start to show up with our generation of millennials. Yeah. Um, across the board. But that's a whole other topic whole other topic that's a deep topic that's like a phd <laughs> with like multiple people and some books and like a blog on tumblr uh, <laughs> who uses tumblr anymore? it's still going i know uh, some i know some people that are still on tumblr for reasons i don't understand yeah <laughs> uh, like it, it you thought it died but it's still going it's like snapchat it's still going i know i deleted snapchat yeah, nobody uses it but it's still going <laughs> i don't understand anyway that being said, a few minutes ago, you mentioned about the bravado and finding the queer space for you yeah. in the industry. Yeah. Can we get a little into that? And yeah. That? I mean, there's different pieces of my journey. Um, yeah, my I'm, like, I'm basically here to out myself, <laughs> but uh, I'm a trans person. Yeah. Yes. I'm a trans person, and I've had a unique time trying to navigate that in the industry and uh, I transitioned from female to male and I worked jobs in the industry presenting as both genders or either gender and it's interesting the ways that you're treated differently depending on how you're presented Um, and also just presenting as a masculine person but being a sensitive and soft personality is it is very undervalued in the industry um and i find myself misunderstood all the time uh because um you know there's there's the the culture of toughing it out and the like i mentioned like the bro kind of camaraderie stuff that i can play into and i can relate to sometimes but um sometimes it feels alienating yeah you know um yeah 
exactly. Um, I've had my own experiences that um, as a gay person within the industry. Yeah. Um, depending on the establishment you're in. Yeah. And what type of people you're around. So I've worked for some more chain-like places where you're getting a lot less queer people in a space and you're dealing with that as a thing, you know, so you're dealing with that sort of bro patriarchal sort of structure. Yeah. In a way, not only from your team, but also from the guests. Right, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I was front of house, so you had to deal with that a lot too, um, which I thought was uh, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a couple stories about that. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> um, but the, but the, I've been in places where it's more supporting and um, you're able to do more within that space, be more open in that space. Yep. Um, depending if you're out or not either, because I've been not out right. in places and then out in places. And they're like two very different environments, depending on the individual. Yes. Um, and how much, you know, um, I think today, compared to like 10 years ago, um, people are less obsessed a little bit less like what if you're queer or not like I don't think yeah. people are like so much like running around talking about it as much like no one cares uh-huh. but 10 years ago if you're any sort of like possibly seeming gay you were like the gossip of the restaurant or at least I yes was. yeah yeah no I've experienced that for sure yeah, right um, so that's something that was always really interesting and I don't think that's indicative to only restaurants but I think it's magnified yeah. in that space yeah um yeah i agree with that yeah (laughs) yeah there's it's interesting like from a trans perspective there's um i know that there's and i mean i speak from a extremely privileged place even in my trans identity uh but there are a lot of people who are hesitant to enter the industry or like when you when you break it down thinking about food service jobs are sometimes accessible because of um being able to come in at an entry level yeah so if there's a surplus of food service jobs but um queer people are don't feel safe to work there um where you know where are they actually working like um and especially for trans people it's a lot of people are too afraid unless the brand explicitly says trans friendly or is queer owned or stuff like that like um someone i know actually had a really hard time finding a job just from like their own personal safety point of view and finally found a job through a friend in food service um and it's because the culture was so inviting to queer people yeah and we need more of that accessibility and inclusion in yeah. general. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who actually does training sessions for businesses. Yeah. Uh, about queer training. So is your place space actually safe? Right. Um, and what does that mean? Um, and how do you go about what policies do you bring forward in your restaurant to make sure it's accessible to everyone in that way? Right. Um, and that's a really powerful thing that uh, is really important. I've seen places that are doing those kind of things, and yeah. it's great. Um, a lot of other places have a long way to go. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of people, if you aren't part of the community, you might just not be aware of how important it has to be. Yeah. Um, until somebody's bringing it up, or you know someone who's going through that, and finding those sorts of uh, stories and connections and those things, right? So, yeah. Um, I know at my 
um, restaurant, the last one I worked at, had a um, this bathrooms for everyone. Yeah. You know, for the uh, so it was accessible. It was a one person bathroom. You know, lock the door and everything. And it was great. You yeah. Know? And they had that on the door, and they you know made that a really prominent thing. Yeah, I you love know, that. so that people could go, and it was no problem. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, there's another restaurant in the same town. Um, that just doesn't have any genders on their washrooms. They have four washrooms, and it just says earth, water, fire, air. Okay, I love that. One, which is great. They're single <laughs> washrooms. But my friend who worked there, uh, she would say all the time that people would come up to her like having a bit of an existential crisis, not knowing what washroom they were supposed to go into. Which is so funny. Which like, so What does funny. that speak to as... Well, so, yeah, but like a <laughs> right. societal problem. Yeah, such a societal problem. <laughs> like, what box do I fit in? Right, it, exactly. There is no box. There's no box. Uh, but like, <laughs> it was so funny because she would just have these stories of, you know, uh, like straight white suburban women just yeah. like coming up and being like, Am I water? Like, just, <laughs> and she's like, you know, and it's just like, you can pick whichever one you want. Yeah. Uh, so that always made me laugh. When I have her on, we'll talk more about that because we work together in multiple places. So. Yeah, that sounds good. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it is interesting the uh, queer culture and connection and building those kind of spaces. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot of work to do all the all the time, and I think it's something that needs to keep being updated and worked on. And, yeah. And uh, go from there. So restaurant HR. <laughs> for sure and it's just one of the issues in the industry yeah. but um i mean it's something i'm passionate about um mm. because it's a lived experience and i've had so many jobs that i felt alienated at right yeah. and i think it's it speaks to the bigger issue of if you're uh censoring so many parts of yourself or masking parts of yourself that contributes to your poor health or that contributes to your poor mental health that contributes to your burnout exactly um yeah yeah and so do we want to get into burnout talk a little bit about burnout it's like the hot topic of my life right now okay yeah let's let's get a little into burnout (laughs) yeah it's a big problem across the industry right yes absolutely Uh, lots of people are burnt out all the time um people are starting to kind of notice that it's a thing yeah in lots of industries but uh burnout's real so can we get into your experience with it yeah for sure um i i mean this i'm recently recovering from a major burnout in my life and this isn't the first one at all i kind of uh took a step back this time around and i realized uh this is actually something i deal with annually like there's a bigger issue here and i was more self-reflective about it but um i've you know been in the industry for like 12 years and there's you know certain pressures there's lack of support even just like queer identity aside lack of support in my roles um and overworking yourself you know yeah comes with the territory people say but it's that's an issue um but overworking yourself not taking proper breaks dehydrating yourself all the time um and not having enough time to balance it no work-life balance stuff like that and it, it eventually came to a head where i realized that um, I need to really evaluate if this is even a sustainable industry for me, um, given the way that it is and how far I feel from it being accessible to me, like right now. Um, I hope that we continue moving in that direction as an industry, 
Um, but right now it's, there's barriers there and I, uh, got to a really not cool place and I am on a medical leave right now because I completely burnt out and my mental health was suffering. Um, and I couldn't perform at any aspect of my life. Uh, so why would I put all of my energy and capability like any tiny ounce of that that I have into my job when I just I'm my health is so poor yeah you know it it got to a, a dark place for me and I but I'm not the only one you know yeah, exactly uh, thank you for sharing that story yeah <laughs> uh, the yeah so when it comes to burnout I've seen it um, for a lot of food service professionals and I see it can be a consistent thing across um, seasons yeah depending on when your restaurant's busy or your business is busy right there's yeah. going to be ups and downs in that season and it's funny because coming from an athlete background and I probably sound like a broken record about this but <laughs> I talk about you know it's a really physically demanding job why don't we start looking at it that way yeah like thinking okay what does your body need to be able to do this? What does it need rest time-wise? What does it need nutrition-wise, stretching, whatever it may be? And that can change depending on what season you're in, right? Yeah. So if you're doing the really busy um, holiday season, right, it may not be um, realistic to be like, okay, we're going to be like able to work out. We're going to maintain all of our health factors perfectly over this period. Yeah. Just like when athletes are in their main game season, right? We say, okay, cool. It's not off season. They're burnt out. They're training as hard as they can. They're doing games all the time. They're super burnt yeah. out. So what are we doing just to keep them, their head above water? Yeah. Right? And I know he's known as athletes, but at the end of the season, they're all just held together by tape. <laughs> um, which you may not know, but like athletes, we're all just like holding them together with tape in a dream. Like we're just like, you can do it. And just, um, you know, they want to go out there, but you're just like... You know, hold yeah. together with tape. We believe in you, you know, and go from there. But it's sort of the same thing, right? It's saying, this is a really busy season. What do you need right now to be able to maintain yourself to get through it? So when it quiets down a little bit, we can start working on those other things. Yeah. Right? Get back into a consistent exercise schedule. You know, talk about, you know, better fueling and whatever it may be. Yeah. Right? And seeing the business as that. Seeing the business as a whole year. Yeah. And being able to say, these are our busy seasons. So this is what our people need right now. And when it's a little bit quieter, we can work on this. Yeah. You know? Um, but I think that's something that people don't think about in the business world. Right. Much. They think of it based in terms of priorities. Like, what are what is our main focus as a business during this busy season? Mm. What things can wait till January? Like, deep cleaning, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. We're not going to be staying till midnight to deep clean. Uh, when we're just going to be making the, I don't know, turkey ovens dirty the next day. Exactly. Whatever it is, whatever, whatever it is. you're working in, right? But um, but they're not think of thinking of it as a worker support point of view. Yeah. Like, what are we doing to actually uh, motivate and engage um, the people that are working for us? And what are we doing to help fuel them? It's it kind of just people sometimes feel have the stance where you sign up for that when you enter the industry you know that it's going to be a ridiculous hustle through the holidays yeah um and i mean yes it's a hustle pretty much everywhere for the holidays like yeah. and the end of year stuff is intense but um 
it's interesting how we can look at it as like this is a a requirement of your job. Um, you won't be compensated any differently. Uh, you're just expected to work double the hours. You're expected to work around the clock. Like I've I've worked in industry jobs that were round the clock, people working twenty hours a day, right? Um, to for that final stretch and uh, like why aren't you thinking proactively about how can I make that uh, season more sustainable to push us through? Yeah. Uh, instead of just expecting or you know borderline exploiting or maybe not even borderline exploiting yeah. your workers to to do that um it's that's the when you add that year over year that's when it's so unsustainable yeah um and i think you've talked about turnover so many times on this podcast that's all we talk about uh, <laughs> but it's like people i think people are figuring people are valuing themselves more than their productivity yeah and uh we're challenging that now. Yeah, people are starting to. Yeah. Um, the other thing, like, this connects to it as well. Like, the first episode is titled Because You Feel Like a Rock Star. Uh-huh. Um, and I use that because uh, with talking to a bunch of chefs, they get into it when they're late teens, early 20s, when you can do a 16-hour day, Yeah. sleep six hours, and turn yeah. around and do it again. Yeah. And the industry kind of is fine with that when your body can put up with it. Yeah. Right? Um, everybody's okay when you're young and you can do those crazy kind of hours and yeah. do it all again until 10 years later where it actually tur- turns around and takes that toll. Yeah. And everybody's kind of turning a blind eye to that. Yeah. I find. Um, you know, and it's just because you feel like a rock star. You pull <laughs> off magic. You feel amazing at the end of the night. You serve 200 people, you know, um, or something like that huge success you feel amazing and you can ride that like high for a really long time Mm -hmm. you know um until it's you just can't maintain that anymore yeah Uh, i completely that's so relatable like it's that's part of my interest in the industry was that adrenaline rush and Mm -hmm. you know all that stuff and it's you know i feel powerful when i can work those hours and uh, i feel powerful when i can pull off these absurd things uh, with not enough resources and time and stuff like that. But uh, a decade later, uh, I'm starting to see it as I'm worth more than this. Yeah. You know, or um, this is this isn't this is negatively impacting my health. Yeah. I can't justify it anymore. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. Right. Um, you said that perfectly. I don't <laughs> Thank much, you. I don't really have much to add to that. Like. I, other than saying what you just said back in my own words, exactly, right? Um, is it worth it to me anymore yeah. to push myself in that way? And there's a really great article that also, and there's a book too that I really like called Waiter Rant. If you've ever heard, no, of I've it. never heard of it. It's a New York server that like he gets into it when he's like I think late twenties. Like he just has had to get a job. He ends up in a high end New York restaurant. Yeah making the money, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he also uh, talks about um, his time in it and how um, you start to, like, kind of see how, like, you always have to work on the weekends and you start to not be able to hang out with your family and you're just, like... Oh, right. You start to miss social outings. You start to not have as many friends and all these things, right? Yeah. Um, I remember last restaurant I worked at, I was part of their opening team. Yep. Right? So Been there, I got, yep. I got, I was hired as part of the opening group. So I was yeah. a server, um, really good at my job, 
um, knew my value at this point. Yes. Right. Yeah. So I've been doing it for like 10, 12 years at this point. Right. So I kind of know I'm really good at my job. So as soon as I got the opportunity, um, when I finished school and I started working uh, part time with the Wells job and stuff, I said, hey, I want to have a Monday to Friday sort of set up here. Yeah. So I had the wellness job like Tuesday, Thursday, as example, or maybe like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday or whatever it was. Right. And I said, so I want to work like in the restaurant, like Mondays and Fridays or yeah. whatever, or Monday, Thursday, Friday or whatever. So I did three days under the requirement. You had to work three days a week. It was part time. And I said, that's what I want to do. Um, yeah. So I have my Saturday, Sunday off so I can like act like a normal human. <laughs> I have a partner who lives in Toronto and I'm living in Guelph at the time. So I did that for myself. Yeah. Right? Um, but a lot of people don't do that. Right. Like I just, the type of person that, you know, could get away with doing that. Yeah. Um, I have the bravado to like ask for these things. And yeah. Make it happen. And obviously like every once in a while there would be like a crazy weekend and I would work that weekend. Like I wasn't that crazy, uh-huh. you know, but I would like, you know, I tried to make sure that I was like maintaining my life around what this job was. Yeah. You know, I even do it in my wellness job too, but yeah. But it's, there's not, it takes a long journey for a lot of us, probably. Um, people, when you start, uh, really young and really low in the food chain, so to speak, in the yeah. industry, it takes a long time to... The culture of the industry keeps telling you that we want more and more work from you for not enough compensation, not enough uh, payback in other in other forms, such as weekends off or whatever. Yeah. And it takes a certain level of self-advocacy to get those things, but... Um, and I'm sure people will have controversial views about, um, you know, and any industry has its level of competition and whatever, but I think it should be built in the model where, like, some indust- some restaurants, rather, do it really well, where they compensate well uh, from a starting point, and there's uh, regular performance reviews with the opportunity to earn a raise, and... Um, all of this stuff, but sometimes it takes someone working at a job for 15 years, never ever having a raise. Yeah. Um, and finally, they're so burnt out and they're so upset and they feel so exploited that it's they're just jaded. Yeah. Uh, they're so resentful. And when you think of, if you were coming from the perspective of, um, wholly sustainable business practices yeah um you would want to invest in your workers right you would want to invest in the people that are helping you execute your vision um and not you know not waiting for them not waiting for them to turn over for new people to come in but we've talked you've talked about that on the podcast too where it's um people with that level of turnover um when do you have the time to invest in those people yeah um it'll just the it'll keep snowballing in that way right exactly and you know your quality of service goes down whatever it may be yeah um all these things kind of pile on top of each other it's and you know it's funny because like they say with the word jaded all i can think is like the angry jaded chef trope that we all know (laughs) um that people always talk about and I even get that at the office job where people are like, Aaron, because they hear about my pockets, they're like, Aaron, 
why are chefs like this? And I'm like, you don't want to know. Like, uh-huh. it's just like, well, we can get into it, but it's like, you know, the industry kind of breeds that. Yeah. Right? Um, in a lot of ways. And it burns people out. And what are they going to do? They're going to turn to different types of addictions, possibly. They're going to turn to anger. You know, they're going to yeah. burn out completely and leave the industry. Whatever it may be, yep. you're going to see it. Yeah. Right? It's going to happen. Um, so it doesn't really surprise me. Um, at the end of the day, when I hear like those sorts of tropes, and you know, I've dealt with my own sense of angry chefs over the years. And, yeah, you know, or like even me, like being burnt out. I remember like, you know, working for places where we all of a sudden get really busy, and it's like consistently like this, and it's like, why aren't you bringing on more service staff? Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, it's summer. There's a patio, and we're still running five servers. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna do like a fifty percent larger restaurant. Yeah. You know, and like that's how that's going to be or whatever it is, right? And it's always been, you know, um, well, what are we going to do about this, right? And, yeah, exactly. You know, and I would get super annoyed at that too, right? So, you know, stuff happens, I get it, right? Yeah. But there is something to be said about trying to manage that better. Um, hopefully. Yeah. Welcome to my soapbox. <laughs> Thank you for listening to my TED Talk. Uh, <laughs> I would really, <laughs> if I ever get the opportunity to do a TED Talk, you never know, it might happen. I'll totally talk about all this. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. Someday. Ted, book me. Anyway. Ted. Ted Call me I Ted. I don't know who Ted is, but like, book me. <laughs> book me to come talk. Um, I'll wear a bow tie. Um, but the, uh, yeah. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Let's get into a little bit here. What's the favorite part of your work day when you are having an awesome work day? I, I like, I mean, I, I still like being productive. I like getting through a list of tasks and feeling super great about everything. Um, I like connecting with other coworkers and especially like people in every department. Like I love uh, chatting it up with the dishwasher or, you know, uh, sanitation staff that are taking out the garbage and just, you know, making their day. Um, And I, I've realized in my own kind of journey in the industry that I started super front of house because I was in coffee and um, I loved that customer connection for a while but having to do all of the work plus the social interaction was too much for me um, so I, I do prefer back of house but I am still a social person like I want to engage with people and have fun and chat it up and you know, your work, people you work with end up becoming your family, right? Yeah. That's, that's something I love. Yeah. Yeah. That's always good. I want to get a dishwasher on here. I yeah. I haven't had a dishwasher yet, so I'm hoping to get someone, like a really awesome dishwasher to come and tell their story, because I yeah. did it for four or five months back when I started, like way back when. Yeah. Um, but I would love to have a dishwasher on to like talk about those stories, because I think the dishwashers always have the best stories. Yeah. Like they kind of see things from a very different perspective. So we'll get there someday. Yeah, so undervalued that. So world. undervalued. Dear God, they're like the most, like, they're the most important thing. <laughs> right? Anyway. Um, well, okay. So that's awesome. Uh, I think I've asked you all the questions for the interview portion. Okay. Anything else you want to cover just for this little section so far? I don't know. I feel really great about all the things that kind of just came up. And I'm, I, I think there's systemic issues that were challenging, um, as an industry or, you know, as millennials in the industry at least. Um, but also that I've seen you highlight on this podcast that I really like. Um, but I think that we should keep the conversation going about the queer 
aspect of it yeah or um um accessibility aspects of of the industry and just making it more inclusive in general because if we're if there's a an issue of like a shortage of workers um not enough people interested in these jobs like what are you planning to do to reframe it so that it's accessible to more people and inclusive to more people um and i don't know let's start a revolution let's start a revolution (laughs) let's just do that and move on from there yeah it'll be great we're (laughs) gonna take a little break um and we'll be right back to talk about some restaurant stories oh my goodness oh my goodness Hey, listeners, I need a little bit of your help. If you like this podcast, I want you to go and rate and review and subscribe to it wherever you find your podcasts, Uh, Spotify, iTunes, whatever it may be. Particularly on iTunes, if you give me a review along with rating it, it really helps other people find this podcast. And I really want this podcast to go wide and far because we have... 2 million people in the food service industry in Canada, and we affect 22 million people per day. So I want lots of people to hear this, and I want this podcast to go wide and far. And what's even better than rate reviewing and subscribing it is that if you like an episode, share it around. Make an Instagram post. It's really easy. Especially if you use Spotify, you can just go and share it really straight to your Instagram feed, share it on Facebook, send it to a friend, whatever you want to do to help this podcast get around. Because I love this podcast and I want more people to hear it. So go do that for me. And if you want to be on this show, you can always send me an email at Aaron at balancedlifeservices.ca. Now, without further ado, let's get back to those crazy restaurant stories. So we are back. Yes. From that break, I don't know what I said on the break because these are filmed or were filmed. They're recorded in the future, so who knows what I said on that break? But <laughs> I'm sure it was great, um, and I'm sure I've had a great track to throw as background music for it because I always find do different music every time. <laughs> that being said, uh, we are getting into our crazy restaurant stories. Yes. Um, and I know I kind of said in the first segment about like I have a story about queerness and those sorts of things and I don't know if this is especially queer but I think it's something to know so I worked at a restaurant where we would wear kilts yeah right um, so the men who work there had the option of wearing a kilt or pants yeah and um, they would so it was funny because when I got hired it was part of the hiring fair the hiring managers were like Get the kilt. The guys who wear kilts always weigh way more money. <laughs> right. Which, that is a whole different topic. Yes. That we're going to talk about in the future on this podcast. <laughs> um, I'm here for that. Yes. Uh, so they said that. So I was like, fine, I will buy a kilt. One kilt. And I had like two pairs of pants. So I started wearing the kilt a little bit. Uh, with the socks and everything. And uh, it was funny because I actually got a really great taste of the abuse that women go through. Yeah at work every single day yeah um so constantly i would wear compression shorts underneath right yeah yeah, of yeah. Course. 
Um, you know, because, like, yeah. But, like, people all the time, I would have, like, super bro dudes. If I was serving a party where they were standing up and walking around, people would, like, lift up your kill. Yeah, that's messed up. Right? Uh, just to see, because there's all those jokes about it, right? That's gross. Um, and one that particularly stands out in my head was um, when you're signing the credit card bill. Right. I had a woman who, like, signed it and was going to hand me back my pen and, like, dropped it on the ground and then was like, pick that up. Oh, my gosh. Which is, like... Yeah, so, and women deal with that all the time. Yeah, yeah, so, it's messed up. Yeah, It's really messed up. There is going to be an episode with a friend of mine, and we are going to talk all about that. Yes. Uh, and we're going to get into that, because that's another part of health and performance. But right, I yeah. don't know if that's a funny story, but that's my story for this week. I know, yeah. It's funny, like, I was thinking about this part when you joke about, like, horror stories of being in the industry, and I feel like if I, you know, continue to shine a light on the like queer aspect of why i'm here it's like my horror stories are like actually horror stories you know like there there's there's definite abuse and discrimination and it's it's super messed up um like uh like in my um experience of transitioning i like i've mentioned i worked uh different roles in the industry presenting as female versus presenting as male and I actually came out at a job and transitioned at that job and uh, people saw the evolution of me transitioning and changing my name and pronouns and stuff like that and you know set aside the fact that um, not everyone like people are ignorant to the subject sometimes um, but like people have their own really backward stance on those things yeah. and it becomes occupational hazards like it becomes really messed up yeah situations yeah um yeah exactly yeah uh i don't have much to add to that other than yeah yeah um because that's the thing and that's the world we live in right and uh the one silver lining i will say the restaurant the last restaurant i worked at i saw a lot of like with people making bookings for the restaurant yeah listing people's pronouns so the servers would get it right i love that right yeah um so there were a few times where the manager would come up to me and say hey when this table comes in um they made a note on the reservation that their child is transitioning and they uh-huh. have these pronouns yeah i love that um, which i thought was really awesome yeah. You know, to have people be able to do that and get in front of that um, so that that can happen easier. Yeah. And how important that is. Because it's, it's interesting in the front of house aspect of it, how much it's ingrained in, you know, in the training for servers, like address people as sir or ma'am. And it's, uh, I think as a society, queer people, or, you know, as a community, queer people are trying to push against that gendered language yeah uh but um it is it's super part of the industry yeah you know yeah um i hope that there's more evolution there yeah i'm i'm even working myself to make sure that i use the correct language or not gendered language right with people i have a really hard time not using guys as whatever you know, I know, I say it all the time. Yeah. Um, so, like, hey guys, and you don't notice that you said it, and I've tried to change it. Yeah. People have said that folks is a good one. Yeah. You can say I, I'm trying to use that way more. Yeah. Folks doesn't have the same punch to me. 
<laughs> um, in my head, so that's a that's my own problem. I think I might just start saying like, "Hey, fuckers," because <laughs> uh, I think like, "Why not?" Because uh, that's how my head feels. So I should just start saying it like that. But that probably won't fly in most workplaces. But yeah, someday. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, that's funny. You know, yeah, I saw an Instagram post that said like you know, gender-neutral ones that you can say, and that was one of them, and I was like, I want that one. Because <laughs> uh, there was a whole bunch of them, like, of that tone that were super not appropriate, but totally gender-neutral, and I was like, huh, okay, great. I'm going to start using it. Um, yeah, and, you know, I don't know. That's, you know, when it comes to the funny stories, there's also just as many horror stories out there. Yeah. You know, or the good stories and the bad stories. So hopefully we've shone some light on all that. Yes, I hope episode. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's—I think this is a really great episode for a lot of people. Um, yeah. And I hope this opens up um, more people to want to talk about their stories and to start hearing more about this. Because if we don't talk about it, yeah. there's not going to be any progress done. On yeah, it, yeah. You know, especially for queer people in the industry. You know, if we're not getting yeah. in front of these things and talking about them and working on them, then we're not going to have any progress. So I can't thank you enough. Oh yeah. Thank you for coming on and Devin and, uh, we'll have show notes and all that sort of stuff. So, and all that good things. So we'll have some notes and everything, maybe some resources that people can find. I'll try and put some stuff down. I'll talk to my friends who does that training just in case people are looking for more information and are looking to learn more. Yeah. I'm sure I can come up with a couple too, to contribute. Uh, I think, yeah, keep the conversation going. I think that's kind of why, like, I realized that today. That's kind of why we're here sitting together. It's, uh, it's to prompt, it's to prompt future conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, and we keep shining lights on, um, what the systemic issues are, what the uh, cultural issues are in the industry and, uh, hopefully there's movement because of that, right? Exactly. Yes. Yay! Okay, I'm going to leave that at that for today. Yeah. Until next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Hell's Kitchen podcast. Now, if you want to contact me, my email is Aaron at balancelifeservices.ca. My Twitter is B underscore life underscore services. My Instagram is balanced underscore life underscore services. And don't forget to go join that Facebook group, Hell's Kitchen, where you can connect with all sorts of working food service professionals to find out what works for them what isn't working for them and find some people who maybe know how to help you have a better work day and remember if you want to be a guest on this podcast send me an email i'd love to chat with you see ya